I'm Chris Barker. And I'm Will Betts. And this is the Music Tech My Forever Studio podcast, brought to you in partnership with Evo by Audient. In this podcast, we speak with producers, engineers, DJs, and industry figureheads about their fantasy forever studio. The imaginary studio that our guests dream up will be one that they have to live with until the end of time. But even in our forever studio dreamland, we have some rules. Of course, the rules. Our guests will select a computer, a DAW and an audio interface. Those are free items we let everybody choose. Then our guests will choose just six other bits of studio gear, plus one non-studio related luxury item. But just to be crystal clear... Yes! No bundles! (laughs) There it is. Our guests might often try and bend the rules, but we do not allow bundles. So choosing something sold as a package of separate software or hardware as a single item is not allowed. Correct. Today on the show, we are thrilled and honoured to have an incredible producer, composer, performer and electronic music legend. Yes, he's sold over 200 million recordings of his work, has won Grammys, Ivan Novellos and worked with huge stars like Madonna, Blur, Britney, Queen and so, so many others. And that's without us even mentioning his solo work. Indeed, and he's back with a brand new studio album called The Painter. Now, one small thing we do just want to flag real quick is that we had some technical difficulties in the middle with our special guest's audio, so you may notice a change in sound quality for a few minutes. Yes, but hopefully it won't affect your enjoyment of the show. There's some really great stories in this episode, so let's jump in. This is My Forever Studio with William Orbit. Welcome to My Forever Studio. So (laughs) the first question that we we ask before we get to equipment and stuff Mm. is... Where in the world, if if it could be anywhere, would you put your studio? And this can be, like, this is a fantasy, so it can be, what would be the dream dream location for your creative space if, if it was for eternity? I've had a few, fair few spaces in my time, and it's going it's to have to be somewhere. You say eternity, so I'm dawdling mm-hmm. around yeah. with a, on a walking stick at 18, so it's going to have to be somewhere <laughs> hot, sunny, with a beach. I think Colombia. You probably get this. I mean, who's going to say Siberia, right? But I, I would... Yeah, okay. Maybe Siberia. <laughs> that would encourage me to work. It's not else much to do, and I could learn to to the local language. I don't know if you'd get. I don't know if you'd get in at the moment. I don't think I would. I, I wouldn't. I've been to Siberia, but I don't think I would get in. So let's not do. Let's not be full. It's the weather I'm worried about. Let's go to. Let's go to uh, Colombia. I mean, you said you've had a few studios. I mean, what's what's been the worst studio that you've had to work in from a creative point of view, and what's been one of the best? There aren't any worsts, you know, because if they're lacking in anything, you mean professional studios, if there's anything lacking, we fix it, you know. Um, the ones, I mean, I can say that, recording studios are run by people that are so committed, you know. You get world-class studio, and you'll have a world-class tech team there sort of fixing things if they break and being on hand, and so... I just don't have a worse studio. I'm sure when we finish, I'll think, I'm just checking. I know my own worst studio. It's my bloody studio here now today with all the faff we have getting (laughs) set up. That's my worst studio. Um, So, I mean, but have you always, you've always worked in third-party studios? No, 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 no. I've worked in, I mean, I love working in proper studios. It's exciting, always brilliant. And I've worked, but I normally set my own places up. So at the beach, say in Redondo Beach in in LA, where I've been there for years and, I often set up in a in a studio in the halfway up the casino, of Palms Casino on uh, Flamingo in Las Vegas. Although that's actually oh, wow. a third party studio, that's not mine. But I've worked, you know, I've got Gorilla Beach. Little Ven- I was in Little Venice. Um, funny enough, I've been in London's Little Venice, where I had a lock studio for a long time. In fact, my ideal studio is based around that one. Gorilla Studios in in Blomfield Road, Little Venice, London, so called because there's canals. I've also had a studio in Venice, California. <laughs> for a considerable amount of time in the past 
so-called because it has lots of canals. And I'm about, in about a month, I'm moving out to Venice, Italy. That's where I'm moving for the next year. And that's so-called because it has lots of canals. That's interesting that you're, a lot of your career has been based on finding your way to the top tier Venice through all the other Venices. <laughs> I know, it's great. I've got this place right there in the heart of the old city and the back door Amazing. Di- is directly onto the canal. So you come off the Grand Canal and you take a couple of very sort of small, dark um, canalways. And, you, and, then, and if you're coming to visit me in the back way, you would, the, the gondolier the gondola, in his gondola would be just text me to say he's getting close and I would come out the door and there'd be candles lit and it'd be all dark and you see these candles oh. and this open door and you climb out of your boat helped by the gondolier and you're into my apartment and then you go upstairs oh and you God. hang out and there's like a little art gallery in the base in the ground floor this is incredible which has got a safer these days Venice floods you had to watch ground floor I was going to say the f- floods studios and floods well it's paintings yeah. only and they can be lifted in a hurry they're not heavy okay. even a giant canvas you know and you have a system in Venice like an air raid siren that goes off on everybody's phone if there's a flood coming there's sirens actual sirens in the city there's people know what to do and in fact just this year they finished this massive floodgate which has taken a long time, like millions of euros stolen by the mafia, and they finally got it together. So maybe there's no more oh, floods, wow. but you have to be careful. But upstairs is my apartment, the bedrooms. But if you come out the front door, you're right onto this Campo, del, Campo San Paolo, which is the second biggest square in Venice, and it's where they have all the events. They have... Amazing. It's since the Middle Ages. So the answer is, I would. that's my third Venice. Um, I don't think there's right, any okay. other Venices. Let's go back to the Colombian studio. I mean, what, mm. what does that look like? What, what about the environment that you like to get creative with? I mean, we, we've already sort of stated that we want things to work, obviously. That's, that's, yeah. that's a given. Well, but Because there's studios that are kind of like quite office-like, quite business-like, and there's studios that are quite sort of chaotic in, in a creative way. I like business-like in as much as the techni- you know, technical side is absolutely par excellence. Mm. And the yeah. admin, of course... Um, and just the staff, because the staff are usually amazing at places like that. But I do like to open the door and just hear a, a, a hubbub of stuff going on. I like to, if I'm going to be in a studio for a long time, an extended mm. period, it should have a nice garden or something like that. And it should have. So we're talking windows and that kind of thing? Yeah, well, at least so you can go out. And the people you're working with can also be very relaxed and comfortable. Most studios excel at that. Um, I like the door open, which also frustrates studio managers. We sort of come in and they'll say, you can't have the door open because we've got masses of air conditioning here to keep everything from frying. You know, all this mm. huge mixing yeah. desk that we have, solid-state logic desks, for instance, put up, they kick out as much heat as a centrally heated house. And if it gets too hot, the stuff fries. And I always say, well, let's turn off the desk because I'm using a laptop. <laughs> you know, I don't need full... <laughs> I do 96 channels of flying fader automation. I'm... Um, but no, I, I do comply. But I do, what I'm getting at is I like the sense of stuff going on. Yeah. And that applies to when I'm working. I like to have people around doing their thing. We're all doing our thing. But there's mm. a sense of shared esprit de corps and creativity. Yeah. Okay, well, let's get the, the first three items out of the way, which are the free ones that every, every studio needs pretty much. And that's a, an audio interface, a, a DAW, uh, and... We need a computer as well. And a computer. I mean, let's do the computer first because it's pretty quick. I guess you're, you're going to be using Mac nowadays if you're going to do a Forever Studio. I mean, did you start off on, on, on PCs or...? I started off on uh, PC Cubase on um, the Atari game system. Do you remember the 1040 mm-hmm. and the ST? Yes, so it was yeah. A, it was manufactured as a games computer. This would have been in about 1988 or something like that. Yeah. 
had a mouse and it was it was Cubase in its earlier form. Yeah. That's what I went for, not the other one, Pro 24, Steinberg. I went for Cubase with all its flaws. It would crash constantly, but I used it for all of Ray of Light, running samplers. Wow. And I didn't get into Macs. Um, I didn't own a Mac until I'd just finished Ray of Light. So in 98, I had a Mac for general stuff. And then I also had a Mac for, at the time, Cubase. I was transitioning to Cubase, but I thought, no, you know, Pro Tools is what I'll do. When I, a couple of years prior to Madonna, I'd gone out to work in Trevor Horn's house on a seal track. Which one? Oh, what was it called? The album that's got the white, when it's white background and he's kind of in silhouette almost, um, killer at that time. Oh. For a perfume for a rose. Because I went out, there was, there was yeah. Wendy and Lisa there. That's how I got friend, very friendly with Wendy. We're still really good friends to this day. I love Wendy, Wendy Melbourne. I adore her. And Seal, and Seal and I had, encountered each other previously. I remember Seal came into my studio when he had just done Adamski's Killer. Mm. And then we met in Thailand one time by chance. But here we were working at Trevor's house. So Trevor came over with Jill Sinclair, the late Jill Sinclair. And I was in my wonderful beloved studio in London, in Crouch End, the one that made all the music from the 90s that I did. Which is, we're going to come back to that studio. And then Trevor and Jill said, convince me, don't, you don't work here. You'd be much happier working at our place. We've got all the gear. And I, let, I allowed myself to do that. And I really should have stayed in Crouch End, actually. But I went over there and we were working. It was okay. Um, but I do remember walking home one day through his garage. And in the garage, he set up these t this monitor. And on it is two lots of waveform. And this is 1992 or something. And, I, and he said, this is the future. This is like Pro Tools or Sound Designer or whatever. And I looked at it and funny, I mean, I actually looked at it and thought they'll never catch on because <laughs> I'm so into tape recorders <laughs> and cutting up tape and everything like that. But of course it did catch on. So I stayed away from it. And then after Madonna's Ray of Light and I, was, I can't trundle along with my Atari that's crashing all the time and lots of floppy disks and everything like that. Let's have a look at all this Pro Tools that seems so efficient and smooth and, and powerful. And then so I got into that, and then by the time, and I, never, I didn't really use it very much, but when Blur 13 came along, I was like sold on Pro Tools. So that's my door. Mm. That's the door. And these I days on a desert island, it's going to be great because it's just your laptop with all the power yeah. and a dongle, basically. So you think you'd go for a laptop as your machine of choice? You'd definitely have a laptop rather than a desktop Mac? Yeah, yeah, because I'm, it's a, yeah. It's, I'm on, so, my studio's my sofa. I travel a lot. I work everywhere, on planes, and yeah. like we all do these days. Um, you know, we don't need so many things that we did need. But you said something interesting about equipment and what you'd still want to use and the tapes and, you know, just left all that behind. Yeah. Once I got... That's right. So I'm doing Madonna's album and I'm sort of like um, having frustrations with equipment a lot. Obviously very frustrating for her. So the writing was on the wall, got Pro Tools and never looked back really. Dedicated computers for it, you know. I don't share too much. I have a computer for the for the Pro Tools. Now it's very. Yeah, I was going to say that's right. I, that's where I was going with this. It's incredibly stable now and incredibly powerful. It wasn't before, but now a laptop <laughs> is absolutely fine. And with these M1 laptops, you know, you're yeah. editing video. It's just so much power, so you don't need a lot else. Mm. So, what about an audio interface? That's the final free item before we get to your six. The answer is I don't really know much about that. I tend to leave it to really seasoned engineers if we're in the studio recording Madonna, say. It's going to be the air. Yeah. Uh, the United, don't let me get started because I'll, I'll give misinformation. With myself, it's very simple. Um, but I use Focus, right? No, it's very reliable. I've used Apogee a lot. It's important. That's right. That's right. Going back to sound designer, when sound designer first came out, their audio interface was absolutely terrible. 
And it was horrible sounding. I mean, it was awful. So you went through DAT machines, you know, because DATs have good converters, and you'd just plug into a DAT, the inputs, and now the output would digitally be transferred with PDF into your computer. Mm. These days, it's a good question, actually, because I'm doing a lot of stuff in the box, but I'm also using a lot of material I've recorded in the past on tape and through analog. But when it comes to actually recording real things in the moment, I'm probably going to go to a studio and have it plugged up. Okay. I don't love the faff. So, I mean, well, I mean, for your Forever Studio, I guess if you're, you're using Focus right now, we can just go for one of the flagship Focus rights, and that'll probably do you for your Forever Studio, it sounds like. Absolutely. I like that the producer pack is great because it's got the, it's got that, the limiting and so forth, which is handy. This Forever Studio, I mean, obviously, do I want to just have tape? I mean, I, I, no, I love editing with tape. I love, the, I love the sound of tape, but of course, the sheer word processor joy of working with a good door a good stable door yeah. mm. why would you want to change and as i said pro tools is so efficient I, 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 you know logic is great sounding that's very popular with writers as is ableton mm. once you get into the big sort of vast recording file many many hundreds of tracks that are written, and maybe you've got drum kits going on yeah. you want something that is a little less bells and whistles and a bit more fundamental producerly like a mixing desk studio yeah. hence mm. the need for pro tools as the kind of central core and then you just fly around outside of that and have some fun okay well let's let's lock those in as we always say on this podcast and then we'll move to your six forever studio bits of gear now i mean this is a fantasy studio so it, it sort of doesn't have to really make musical sense but let's do item number one what would be something as a synth or a bit of equipment that you could you just can't imagine making music without yeah, these aren't going to be in any particular order, but I get it, six different items. And, and, and I refer to that studio I had in Crouch End for a number of reasons, because I've had many studios, but that's when I think I reached the kind of pinnacle of having a studio, because I said after that I went to Pro Tools. So that's my last studio, and it was really good. And sometimes when I'm going to sleep, and I, you know, instead of counting sheep jumping over a bush, I literally go through a remix that I did of all the physical patch bay stuff, <laughs> patching through, I had a patch bay like we all did, that was like a nest of, you know, every patch chord used. Oh, I need another one. Let's this, this solder up a chord right now. I need to get from here to here. And sending all these things all over the patch bay to all the studio equipment, to the synchronization. And I do that. I do the patch and the notes and the recall and everything and unpatch it in my head. Would I like to actually do that again? No. I'd like to have a simpler matrix. But I would like all that gear. Now I used the, we're going to talk about compressors to start with. And as I said, no particular okay. order. When I, yep. when I used to use a drama compressor, it's called a 1960. I had several of them and they mm -hmm. sat across everything. Everything, all the bass, the Juno 160, outputs of the Akai samplers, you name it, would just automatically go through. They were normaled pretty much mm -hmm. through this compressor. But if it's a fantasy studio, I'm going to have a Fairchild. Thank you very much. They're 35,000 pounds, I believe, 50 grand. Yeah. Bucks. And did but, you have one in Crouch End? No, my house wasn't <laughs> worth that much money. I mean, I know, I know, no, no, I didn't. But you said a fantasy studio, so we can yeah. find one. Yeah, of course, one. of course. So the Fairchild yeah. instead of the drama and everything, I'm going to slam a lot of stuff through that. It'll be a hot piece of gear. We constantly work. So item number one is a Fairchild. A Fairchild compressor. That is great Love fantasy it. studio fodder. Nice one, William. I yeah, like that. Very good. Don't they cost, I heard they cost like four quid a minute to run or something because you can't get the valves anymore. <laughs> so, um, so Fairchild, item number one, yes. we'll lock that in. I mean, have you ever used one in real life then, the Fairchild? Yeah, yeah, we patch through them. I mean, you know, quite often, ask the engineer after I finish laying down some stuff that's come off 
a synth or, or, or a plug-in. Because not not many studios have them. I, I know that I know Matt, Matty Schwartz has one in um, in his Soho studio, or used to do. Yeah, you find them more in America. Um, you do see yeah, them. Yeah. You do see them. I'm just was going to try to remember the actual exactly one I want. Um, I can't find it. I, look, hey, I use the plug-in sometimes, but there's no comparison. But a decent tube compressor. Uh, yeah, that's what you said about the valve. Very interesting, because of course, like with vinyl factories, they ran out. They became unused and then they started to fall off the map as the stuff mm. just yeah. scrap metal and the valves is a factory in china right that carried on and those those tubes do blow yeah, yeah. and they, they keep finding uh, randomly well they used to do like last time i was looking into this stuff they'd they'd find like they do like an old factory that had mm-hmm. been decommissioned full of valves that haven't been sold yet you know that have been sat for 20 years and they still work and then suddenly the price yeah in china you would yeah and in, and in germany as well people not so much now but uh, you know before, before the end of the berlin wall came down people would go over to the east and ransack old but defunct studios that were full mm-hmm. of neumann i've i've got this old 19 uh what is it year it is 60 before the Berlin Wall went up, basically, I've got a Neumann. I think I'm selling, actually, because I don't ever use it these days that much. But it's recorded so many people. Um, but people yeah. do find bargains. It's the same with these, these mums, you know, that their son went off to Vietnam in 63 or whatever, and sadly never came back, you know. And then 50 years later, they're clearing out her house because she's moving into a retirement home, and underneath the son's bed is a guitar. And it's worth more than the house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you know, the son's guitar that he bought and died, never used is worth so some instruments can really fly up the value yeah it's become like investing like wine and all of that it's become one of those (laughs) go-to like bougie investments for people you know like with wine the more they go on about the notes the paragraphs and stuff about use you know strawberry notes the more bullshit it is you know it's like it's good (laughs) i think it's the same with with plugins when they start to get two purple pros you think I don't need to hear it. Because my answer to your broader answer to your questions, Chris, is that I don't use many bits of kit. I tend to find favourites, which I use for everything. The Music Tech My Forever Studio podcast is supported by Evo by Audience and the Evo 16 audio interface. The Evo 16 is packed with eight award-winning Evo preamps alongside Audience Advanced Converter Technology, which will make recording even easier and better sounding. That's right, featuring their signature smart gain level technology, a groundbreaking motion UI control system, and all the ins and outs for even your biggest sessions, the Evo 16 is a powerhouse interface. I've got to say, I'm a huge fan of that smart gain feature, and with eight inputs, you can perfectly set levels for a full drum kit in seconds. And with intelligent features like this and powerful, easy-to-use design, Evo 16 is a new way of doing things for music makers, home recording enthusiasts, and producers looking to up their interface game. The Evo 16 interface is suggested to retail at £399, €469, and $499 in the USA. Discover Evo online at evo.audio. Let's move from the Fairchild to item number two, and what's been another favourite over the years? I mean, reverb is very important, and I use it... Um, to taste a lot of courses we all do and I'm, my number one reverb is actually a, is, is a not the fancy one you see in studios sat on the desk but it's a PCM70 the digital uh, lexicon oh. PCM70 reverb I've got a couple of settings in there and I've used and once again if you look at all the stuff I did in the 90s you know so from bassomatic through to all those cargo track records and pieces and Madonna and productions and mixes and blah blah blah, blah PCM70 on all the reverbs and it's like a painter. It's like a painter. I've got my red. I like this red. I'm going to use it yeah. for everything. And I, that's how I am. I don't need so that, that the ray, all the ray of light. Most the ray of light reverbs would yeah. be the piece. Hmm. That piece. Wow. And that's that's what? that's great insight. I know, people are surprised to hear that because it's but for me it's all yeah. about context. And 
who needs to know? But it really will be a very, very simple. It's and these days it's the same with my plugin arsenal. It's I've got you know it's a focus right EQ I use pretty much ninety five percent of the time, and I'll find a favourite. So item number two is the PCM. And before you get to item number three, can I ask a quick question? You said you had two settings on the Lexicon. What what are those two settings? Yeah. What what are you using? Now that would be telling. Ah. <laughs> You want to know how many tomatoes I put in my pasta dish? Yes, I do. Yes, <laughs> we want we want everything. I guess two settings. It's going to be like a one's a slightly longer one and one's a, you know, a shorter one, yeah. right? One's going to be a hall, a diffusion, yeah. you know, diffused hall, and one's going to be a room. Mm. And I'll barely use the room. I'm not big on room. I like actual okay. rooms, but I don't add a lot. I barely ever add that. But you know, like I use the Altiverb these days. I probably, you know, if I'm going to go, if I'm going for a real one, it'll be the PCM, and I won't miss it. I can have one yeah. setting and not miss it at all for mm. for an entire album, and, and that's all I do. So item number three. Oh, no, the headphones count as the in the six. Yes, you need. Well, you're going to need some headphones or some speakers. Mm. Well, I mixed my last entire album on a pair of DJ headphones, and if, I'm not. I never endorse gear, but I'll tell you what they use. It's a Sennheiser HD25. They're so robust, they're so comfortable, they fold away sideways for when you DJ and they've got fantastic balance. Look, the best headphone sound I've had recently is the Apple fancy AirPods, the big ones. Oh. Mm -hmm. But they're rather flattering for bass. You know, I think you need to you don't want it too flattering when you're doing bass. You want you want yeah. to have inner definition. Because mm. controlling bass is a really important thing. And I so I use these to sit on the plane if I don't want noise cancellation or to DJ with or to work, and I've mixed my entire album on those cans. Huh. Or their previous incarnation. I mean, I wore the other ones out. They just stopped working because I had yeah. them all the time. They're very, they last a long time. They're cheap and they're just great. Right? And I'd say, but if anybody get these, they're loud and they're well enclosed. And the point about that is that if you are DJing, you really do need to have a bit of volume in your ears in a loud environment. Don't damage your ears, though, folks. And then you want some isolation. So you've got not hearing the racket that you're creating you want to hear it coming straight off deck so they're good for that too but yeah so so that's the headphones that's number two no that's number three because oh, we got we got the reverb we got what have we got will come we on we got the fairchild 670 yeah no i got you there we i yeah. mean <laughs> you know you've got to have a delay of some kind um i'm not being clever okay. here and getting a device that does it all i think a delay, if I, oh we we do have a rule that you can't do that there is a no bundle rule <laughs> i like that that's really yeah, good yeah, yeah, yeah. because yeah. you know and you want task specific items it's like laptops don't try and have something that does everything because it'll just make every, it'll just fuck up everything you know you want to have mm. a piece of kit and that's you get to know it so well for its prime function and you don't do the rest because i'm sure the pcm7 has got tons of delays on board but so i ain't going to use them um so there's got to be a delay and honestly, I'm going to go back to something very simple, and that's the Korg SDD. Love the SDD. And it's a digital delay, but mm -hmm. functions quite an analog way. There was a period when they brought this out when Juno's the same one, the one, the 60, was kind of analog is going digital. There's mm -hmm. still some bucket brigade analog in there, and there's still digital, and it's a sort of halfway point. And stuff sounds really nice. It's the same with video editing. They're the ones with lovely, colourful like rings around the knobs on the. No, the SED, no, it's a one unit high thing. It's just it's it's just LEDs on board. Um, interestingly, oh. I've used them forever. I noticed when I was working with Edge, he has a pair of those as well, because Edge is very famous for his delay. I hadn't known that, because I've been using that for my delay. And if I want to quote a track, you know, just look at Water from a Vinely, for instance. That is a Juno 106 going through the drama, going into the desk, an analog desk, a Trident 80B, and onto tape with a three-quarter on dotted quarter note, delay through a Korg SDD 
all delay, no mix, because that's kind of right. That's my sound. Yeah. That's it. And I'll probably compress the delay as well. And that that's the sound. And it, that's it's best illustrated on the introduction of that one track, because it's just naked there. I yeah. notice I always have rever reverbs going left to right, because it's sort of like that's the way the timeline moves, isn't it? Right for right, yeah. with the other way around, and that's it. So the number four is a, it's a Korg SDD. Um, the only thing is, if we're going to be working on board, if we're talking out of the box, see, here's the thing: if you want, if it's a dream studio, it's a proper recording studio, and there's people on hand to fix stuff. Yep, we can sort all that yeah. out in the Fantasy Forever studio. You have to worry about, you don't have to worry about stuff getting broken or stuff getting. Because I, I, I went out to Stockholm when I, um, to work, and I met Benny Anderson of ABBA, and he showed me around his studio. Now he's got a beautiful studio on this island in the middle of the kind of lagoon of Stockholm, and he has wonderful old equipment, beautifully restored and maintained, like an Otari uh, MTR 90 tape machine, for instance. Well, that's wonderful. Yeah, well. Yeah. I have been thinking, because I've been digitizing a lot of my, I've got vast amounts of unreleased material from the 90s and vast amounts of sessions from the 90s. And of course I'm reviewing a lot of it because of Atmos. And I've had all mm. my tapes, 100 on multi-track, two inch tapes digitized. So I'm going through it all and thinking, why does everything sound so super special? It's got this mystery and this ghosting and this ambiguity. And of course it's all going through uh, analog signal path all the way. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, to tape basically the half inch tape, and I'm thinking I could recreate that. You know, it wouldn't be that difficult to recreate it with the same tape machine, the same signal path, the same desk. They're all available yeah. in in everyone's yep. favourite attic, which is eBay. <laughs> you know, you even you just lose something and think, I wish I'd never sold it. Well, someone's probably got one you can buy back. So, are you thinking uh, for your forever studio a tape machine? Well. If I, I know, I, according to your rules, it doesn't sound like I can have, I can just conjure up Gorilla Studios and Crouch End again, because that's more than just six items. Yes. So if I have to be stuck with six items, am I going to be, if I'm on tape, that requires a whole sort of infrastructure, a whole ecology of certain types of devices, which we haven't got the room for. I mean, in the old days, you know, 20 years ago, if I was setting up shop recording somewhere, which I did a lot, just an ad hoc recording environment, it would be, Half a plane's worth of six pallets worth of beer, weighing you know a metric ton and all the carnage and all the paperwork and mm -hmm. air cargo, rocket cargo. And it's got down and down and down, you know. So in latter years, it's just been a couple of flight cases. And now, of course, I've got an extra monitor wrapped in towels in my suitcase. I've got my laptop, a pair of headphones, probably the mic, and that's it. Item number five. So. Let's, I mean, let's talk synthesizers, those, or sound sources, because, I mean, maybe it's just me, but... I'm not worried about synth. I've got a lot of stuff there that, on board, but would I like to have a real one? And I, yes, I would, because when I finally yeah. get rescued, I need to put on a little concert for my rescuers, or maybe I'll find <laughs> uh, a tribe that's never heard, you know, Western music. So I think I need a Juno 106. Like in, there's, a, there's an elderly tribesman who fancies a crack of doing electronic music, you know. <laughs> and would you go 106? You wouldn't go, to, you wouldn't go Jupiter 8? No, it's a performance thing. It's just, it's a happy, eyes closed, I can do it in the dark. And do you still have one? Do you still own one? Yeah, I've got three, yep. which out of all three, there's at least one working one. I just lent them to James ah. Hockley, actually. I just said to James, why don't you go over to my lockup and just clear, clear me out of, of, of synths. Don't, don't let them sit there gathering dust. Lovely. You go, you go and help. So he, he's got them all. But yeah, we do you know 106. Okay. 
uh, smashed into that compressor. Why not? And do we hear that on like Ray of Light and some of the 90s stuff as well? And, and, and is it on the painter? Yes, all over everything. I kind of came to this interview hoping to find out some kind of signature William Orbit sound, and it's the 106, is it? It's the 106 with a dotted um, quarter note. Uh, you know, I think that's right. So, you know, with, if you're running at 120 BPM, a, a, a beat, I think it's 50 milliseconds, isn't it? So 300 and two, 250 is a quarter note or whatever. So, if you, you know, 375. So it's a note times 1.5, basically, to get your... Skipping delays. For all our listeners, that's pre-sync delays where you had to yeah. do it in milliseconds, right? And you had to you calculate. Did it by ear. You just you just yeah. got the knob that was doing the time, and you just turned it until it suddenly everything sat right, and that was it. It's very important to get it right. We did it in milliseconds. I think in milliseconds now. I think it's we're still <laughs> using milliseconds are very important for latency on the doors yeah. or mm. all sorts of time-based effects. You do need to have a basic understanding of what milliseconds are you don't and it's sort of an un unexplainable phenomenon when it's not right isn't it like to, to the general public maybe it's like yeah. they can't really explain why it's wrong but it just feels wrong because it's not right. necessarily it's not really as obvious as out of sync but it's just like oh it doesn't groove it doesn't feel so right. many things like that a bass rub a, ba a kick drum that's got a note to it and it's a semitone off the bass line that's going there it's like i can't work out why it suddenly sounds not very nice here but that'll be your reason all these little things that you really need to attend to and the fine detail with any piece of music, same with any endeavour, I mean, filming, writing, you know, you need to go through and um, co you know, copy check your stuff and, and make sure yeah. there's no awkward things, find out any clashes. But, um, yeah, where were you? We were talking about... Item number six, we've got the Juno in, we've got Juno. item number six. So, so we haven't got a tape machine and we haven't got monitors, uh, but you might not want those. Well, you I'm might on headphones. Got headphones. Headphones will be fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do I want to throw a party? You know, um, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because I would want to have speakers then. We need a mic so I can record stuff to do the drums. Yes, I mean, we I have do. to just bang, bang things to make the drums. The Juno is yeah. going to provide every other instrument I need, and you'd be surprised how, how, how effective I can make that. Then you've got the compression that everything has to be squashed with. Then you've that's got. That's the Fairchild. That's the Fairchild. And a delay. That's four items, isn't it? Yeah. Headphones. And your headphones yeah, is five. Right. Yeah. yeah. So you've got one more item left for the Forever Studio. The musical instruments count? Yeah, yep. Yeah. Oh, it has to be a guitar then. A guitar? Okay, so tell us about your, your guitar journey. Well, I didn't really pick one up till I was 14. My dad had this one he'd got when he was in the army. It was this little sort of ladies' guitar, an acoustic guitar, little very, a three-quarter size Italian guitar that he made them that was called ladies' guitars because they were a bit small and it's, and it's wooden box and I picked it up and he said you're going to need to know how to tune that and he, you know he shows me how you tune it and he gave it to me and he never got it back <laughs> that was it I was hooked and in Amazing. short order I was I just suddenly got into guitar playing and was was listening to Jimi Hendrix you know, a year later and it was my instrument and it still is so I had to have a guitar I've been collecting them you know I've got a I've got a hummingbird 1960 acoustic which is beautiful for recording i've got a gibson semi-solid bass I, I like guitars that record well and yeah. it does make you be surprised they can often sound great in the room or play very well but how do they record it's very important mm. but i would just probably take a fender telly no i'd take an acoustic maybe i could rig up an, a, a pickup would i have the means if i'm on a desert island could i rig up an electromagnetic coil 
with power to you know given five years i might be able to find a way of getting seawater into batteries and making <laughs> a potential difference and getting that little power into a bit of coiled metal which is where would you find a bit of coiled metal on a what did you not find on a desert island beach it's probably metal actually well i think you're close enough to a shop in colombia to be able to yeah. oh yeah some... i'm in colombia that's right i'm not on desert island desert... oh colombia yeah. man yeah 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 i'll have a whole crew yeah i'll have a whole crew you get anything you want there <laughs> yeah really <laughs> <laughs> no i would stay away from some things that's for sure i just love colombian culture and i you know working with lita pimienta who on the, my album yeah. she's yeah also convinced me to move there and she said the food and everything the lifestyle is great but there'll be a place that has all these things so item five is the guitar let's talk about the ultimate guitar then so if you could steal a guitar off your favorite guitarist or or if you could have one signed or if there's a, a guitar that for your collection that you've never been able to get what we, it's a fantasy studio so Jimi hendrix's six string acoustic i, I presume you have one Ooh. i mean i don't know there's not a lot of there's not a lot of acoustic at jimmy um there, there's things like um on the rainbow bridge what was it called hear my trainer calling i think is he did acoustic that's with the 12 string i wouldn't take a 12 string because they're quite clunky and mm. the strings can break mind you i've got an inner surprise strings because i've got my mate in bogota yeah <laughs> he can drive them out to me because obviously i'm in the beach i'm not i'm not in the city i'm in the beach but i've got yeah. city connections i think a Jimi hendrix guitar um signed by jimmy absolutely doesn't have to have signed yeah. it i want the one because he was famous for walking around his apartment with it hanging around his neck so when he's cooking up a fried egg when he's greeting guests at the door he's always got his guitar around his neck you know <laughs> and i i wouldn't i i could have whatever guitar that was that'll do me because i fell in love with electric guitar and i didn't know what it was i didn't have one i just saw photographs and it looked like it sounded magical it looks magical how is this magic done so when I got my first guitar, a top 20, cost me 20 pounds, which um, was a week's wages. And um, it was the doors, that was it. That was open season. Let's, uh, let's get Will to just run down the fantasy studio and then we've got the final luxury item. Um, so Will, just talk us through, just set the scene, talk us through what this studio and what we've got so far. We have transposed the environs of Gorilla Studios in Crouch End to Colombia for the weather but with windows and the hubbub your computer is a mac book pro laptop i'll need i'll need a good uh, dehumidifier because being by the beach in a humid area i've done this it can play havoc with your gear um, you can just you know salt water is very corrosive but sorry sorry we'll carry on no no um you have a Focusrite claret plus eight pre that's their biggest interface that they do uh, your daw is pro tools flex which is the very latest and greatest your first item is a Fairchild 670 stereo compressor, one of those sold seven years ago for $44,000, you might be interested to know. Um, you have four reverbs, a Lexicon PCM70 for headphones, Sennheiser HD25s. For delays, you have your Korg SDD3000. For your synths, a Roland Juno 106. And your final item is Jimi Hendrix's guitar, which I believe is an Epiphone FT-79 from 1951. Nice one. There you go. Look at that. So all that's left to do is talk about an item for the studio in Bogota that isn't music-related, but something that, like your luxury item for that studio, essentially. Like Oh, the sofa. Always the sofa. 
But what have you got a special type of sofa? Does it need to be a sofa bed? Is it rotating? Is it fold out? Oh, is right. It, what okay. Is it? Uh, Matthew Freud had a really good circular one, I remember. But I wanted something oh. that's it's got to face the monitors because you can't really be facing away from the speakers because we're all in a list, critical listening environment. It's got to be yeah. such that you can sink into it. And a lot of people can sink into it, you know, and write their songs with their uh, pads open on their knees and their iPhones going and singing into it. You can crash out on it, obviously. Um, we're, we're talking not leather if we're crashing out on it, right? No, I've never been one for leather sofas, but funnily enough, they can be. I have been embraced in a foot leather sofa in various studios, and they're actually very comfortable. <laughs> but I think I would go for something more kind of a rough fabric, you know, um, type of thing. It, it's got to be. It's just got to be super comfortable, a good for a good night's okay. sleep because it's going to happen. All nighters. Yeah. <laughs> very important. I do want to have a button uh, on a string, the better button. Yes, tell us about the better button. This is just a knob, a very professional-looking knob, on a, in a little box on a, on, a, on a cable that goes into the mixing desk, and anybody says, can you make it sound a bit better? Yes, I can. Here's the better knob. Just turn it up a little bit. It could be like in like a, like a humidor-style box, like a wooden box you open they, it up yes. and reveal it. <laughs> I like that. little wooden yeah. box you reveal it. Yeah. No, that, see, that would give the game away, though. It would be like, uh-oh, I'm going to be punked in a minute. No, yeah. it will have to look like a very quoted Ian button thing, like, like a talkback button, and uh, it's a bit bashed, and it's like, there's the better button. But you know what it is, though? It's a volume knob. <laughs> yeah. It turns the volume up. <laughs> and they go, oh, yeah, that, that is better. better. Yeah, nice. But Pune, the record label contingent of making a record, because these days I've got... We've been working with some fantastic, usually A and R people with great ears. I mean, Mike's, they are, they know, they know what they're doing. And uh, these days, with Andrea Beats and now with Warner, I love my A and R presence. I would never insult them with a better button. They know exactly how to push me. And just before we go, then tell us about the painter. Like, what what's the process been like making it, and when when is it out? When can we hear it? When it's out, you'll have to find out from Ben Pester or uh, and Warner's. <laughs> the dates have okay. slightly shifted. It's it's an album that I've done that is a sound of somebody coming back from the grave, actually, because I was 10 years doing bugger all, not being very productive at all in the sonic arena, getting more and more frustrated, just painting, basically. And then a year and a half ago, I got the fever again, but like from same as when back late 90s. And I started to get new gear and make this record. So I was able to do new, brand new things, of course, but also dip back into some old unused archive material as well. And, and you've worked in. with brilliant people like Katie Mellewer and, and Ali Love and Ali, Beth Orton. Beth, uh, Georgia. It's been, and oh yeah. man, it's been brilliant. And Katie, Polly Scattergood, we, Polly did duels with me last night. And that's been a joy because they give me their best stuff. You know, listen to Georgia and listen to Polly. I mean, they, all of them give me. Katie did her bit in Las Vegas, actually. That was funny. She came all the way out to Las Vegas on quite a gangster session. I was working on the Chris Brown track. And Katie just was a star. She just had everybody's jaws dropping open and she recorded that there. So the recording with these artists is that's the fun bit actually. It's just what they've given me. So yeah, I'm very I'm very pleased with it. I can just see right now you, you lit up talking about <laughs> it. It's really, really nice to see. No, but yeah. I, I don't want to be a cliche there, but you can see how excited you are about working with people again and doing and doing this stuff. I mean, yeah. can we expect more as well? Have you got to keep going? Right now I'm doing I've made all the stems, done all of the Atmos mixes, done the uh, art, a lot of art and films. Next, I don't know. I mean, I'm, it's, I'm living in Italy. I've got this painting that I'm pretty, pretty keen on, but music's absolutely collaborations. 
I, I think people should fly out. I'm so sorry you're going to have to fly to Venice, Italy. If you can, if you can bear that, you know, come to my place. <laughs> I've got the mic. Let's write, let's write some great songs. I mean, that candlelit entrance just sounds like Wonderland. <laughs> like, you know, if, if I can smell some nice Italian food as I approach as well, that would just, uh, yeah, be the dream. Okay, my final question, which we didn't do, is what colour is that sofa as a painter? What colour is that sofa in the studio? Dark grey. I love that pause. I love that pause. Dark grey. Okay. And paint proof. It's paint proof. Yeah. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. That's a perfect answer. Well, all that's left to say is Willie Morbit, thank you so much. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Be the joy. Thank you very much. And uh, once again, to everybody that tuned in, apologies for the slight technical difficulties. Uh, we still think it was a great episode anyway, and these things happen, of course. Anyway, who have we got next week, Will? Next week, we have a true musical polymath who has achieved an incredible amount by the age of 27. He has won Grammys, he's scored a movie, he's collaborated with Herbie Hancock. You may know him from explaining musical concepts in straightforward ways. He's an incredible communicator, a lovely chap, and we couldn't be more happy to have him on the show. We have... Jacob Collier. Woo, Jacob Collier. And great music. It's not He's not just a YouTube guy, is he? It's like great tracks as well. Like very, very intriguing, amazing music. I hear he's got perfect pitch as well, Will, so we'll have to put that to the test and see if we can get him out. He's got an amazing studio right now in his parents' house. Let's see if we can upsell some dreams, get him out of his parents' house. <laughs> somewhere, somewhere nice. That's mine and yours job for next week's episode, I think. That and testing his perfect pitch. Uh, let's see how it goes. Anyway. That's the... <laughs> two jobs we'll exactly we will catch you all all next time for more adventures into studio for evident goodbye bye bye